Welcome back. I'm Dr. Mark McCullough. Canto 18, this time from Dante's Inferno. I'll be reading from the translation by Mark Musa, offering a summary prior to the reading of the canto, and then offering uh, a brief dis description and discussion uh, of, of some of the themes and uh, images and ideas found in this important canto. The pilgrim describes the view he had of the eighth circle of hell while descending through the air on Jerian's back. It consists of ten stone ravines called Melabolge, and across each bolja is an arching bridge. When the poets find themselves on the edge of the first ravine, they see two, two lines of naked sinners walking in opposite directions. In one of the pimps or panderers, and among them the pilgrim recognizes Venedico. In the others are the seducers, among whom Virgil points out Jason. As the two move along the next bolgia, they are assailed by a terrible stench, for here the flatterers are immersed in excrement. There is a place in hell called Malabolge, cut out of stone the color of iron ore, just like the circling cliff, circling cliff that walls it in. Right at the center of this evil plain, there yawns a very wide, deep well, whose structure I will talk of when the place itself is reached. That belt of land remaining then runs round between the well and cliff, and all this space is divided into ten descending valleys, just like a ground plan for successive moats that in concentric circles bind their center and serve to protect the ramparts of the castle. This was the surface image they presented, and as bridges from a castle's portal stretch from moat to moat to reach the farthest bank, so, from the great cliff's base, jut spokes of rock, crossing from bank to bank, intersecting ditches until the pit's hub cuts them off from meeting. This is the place in which we found ourselves, once shaken from the back of Jerian. The poet turned to the left, I walked behind him. There on our right I saw new suffering souls, new means of torture, and new torturers crammed into the depths of the first ditch. Two files of naked souls walked on the bottom. The ones on our side faced us as they passed. The others moved as we did, but more quickly. The Romans, too, in the year of the Jubilee, took measures to accommodate the throngs that had come and go across the bridge. They fixed it so on one side all were looking at the castle and were walking to St. Peter's. On the other, they were moving towards the mount. On both sides, up along the deadly rock, I saw horned devils with enormous whips lashing the backs of shades with cruel delight. Ah, how they made them skip and lift their heels at the very first crack of the whip. Not one of them dared pause to take a second or a third. As I walked on, my eyes met with the glance of one down there. I murmured to myself, I know this face from somewhere, I am sure. And so I stopped to study him more closely. My leader also stopped, and was so kind as to allow me to retrace my steps, and that whipped soul thought he could hide from me by lowering his face, which did no good. I said, O oh, you there, with your head bent low, if the features of your shades do not deceive me, you are Venedico Cacciamico, I'm sure. How did you get yourself in such a pickle? I'm not so keen on answering, he said, but I feel I must. Your plain talk is compelling. It makes me think of old times in the world. 
I was the one who coaxed Gisabella to serve the lusty wishes of the Marquis, no matter how the sordid tale is told. I'm not the only Balinese who weeps here, hardly. This place is packed with us, in fact. There are more of us here than there are living tongues, between Savina and Reno, saying Sipa. I call on your own memory as witness. Remember, we have africarious hearts. Just at that point, a devil let him have the feel of his tailed whip and cried, Move on, you pimp! You can't cash in on women here! I turned and hurried to rejoin my guide. We walked a few more steps, and then we reached the rocky bridge that juts out from the bank. We had no difficulty climbing up and turning right along that jagged ridge. We left those shades to their eternal circlings. When we were where the ditch yawned wide below the ridge to make a passage for the scourge, my guide said, Stop and stand where you can see these other misbegotten souls, whose faces you could not see before, for they were moving in the same direction we were over there. So from the ancient bridge we viewed the train that hurried along towards us the other track, kept moving, like the first, by stinging whips. And the good master, without my asking him, said, Look at, those impose look at that imposing one approaching who does not shed a single tear of pain. What majesty he still maintained down there. He is Jason, who, by courage and sharp whips, fleeced the Cochleans of their golden ram. He later journeyed through the Isle of Lemnos, whose bold and heartless females earlier had slaughtered every male upon the island. There, with his words of love and loving looks, he succeeded in deceiving young Hypsipyle, who had in turn deceived the other women. He left her there, with child and all alone, such sin condemns him to such punishment, and Medea, too, gets her revenge on him. With him go all deceivers of this type, and let this be enough to know concerning the first valley and the souls locked in its jaws. We were already where the narrow ridge begins to cross the second bank to make it abutment for another ditch's arch. Now we could hear the shades in the next pouch whimpering, making snorting, grunting sounds, and sounds of blows slapping with open palms. From a, steam, from a steaming stench below, the banks were coated with a slimy mold that stuck to them like glue, disgusting to behold and worse to smell. The bottom was so hollowed out of sight we, we saw it only when we climbed the arch and looked down from the bridge's highest point. There, they, there we were, and from where I stood I saw souls in the ditch ditched plunged in excrement that might well have been flushed from our latrines. My eyes were searching hard along the bottom, and I saw someone's head so smirched with shit you could not tell if he were a priest or layman. He shouted up, Why do you feast your eyes on me more than other dirty beasts? And I replied, Because, remembering well, I've seen you with your hair dry once or twice, you are Alicio Intermini from Lucha. That's why I stare at you more than the rest. He beat his slimy forehead as he answered, I am stuck down here by all those flatteries that rolled unceasingly off my tongue up there. He finished speaking, and my guide began, Lean out a little more. Look hard down there so you can get a good look at the face of that repulsive and disheveled tramp scratching herself with shitty fingernails, spreading her legs while squatting up and down. It is Teus, the whore, who gave this answer to her lover when he asked, Am I very worthy of your thanks? Very? Nay, 
Incredibly so. I think our eyes have had their fill of this. So welcome to the eighth circle of hell. And uh, here in the eighth circle, we have representations of simple fraud. And uh, Dante divides uh, this simple fraud up into how many categories? Does he? Ten varieties of fraudulent behaviors. Uh, the panders and seducers, seducers we see today, uh, flatterers, simoniacs, diviners, barriters, hypocrites, thieves, false counselors, schematics, and counterfeiters we will see in uh, Cantos uh, 18 all the way uh, to Canto 30, uh, where we'll pick up in the uh, frozen floor of hell, which is the deeper, more complex fraud uh, that Dante calls a form of treachery and betrayal. Um, so we're introduced for the first time to these panders and seducers, and the uh, imagery here of, of, of excrement, shit, poop, however, there's several... Dante uses several words for it, um, is the contrapasso to, to the silver-tongued rhetoric that is used by flatterers and panderers to deceive others. Deceiving others is uh, a very uh, significant crime, according to Dante, because we take truth and we pervert it, and uh, we we actually part we we participate in the in the in the others in the fall for others by our use of, of, of untruths and, and lies. Um, and so here uh, Dante comes across a few figures, um, both in, uh, of contemporary Italy, um, his history, his contemporary moment, and also of mythology. And before we get to some of those persons, some of those sinners, take a look at the um, geography that we now are part of it's a little confusing at the beginning of Canto 18 because we, we think to ourselves, well, how does Dante know and see all of this? It sounds like it's Dante the poet who's filling in information for the pilgrim, but it, that's not the case. If you imagine Gerion's um, d descent into this part of the Eighth Circle, uh, Dante has seen uh, much of this from the air. Uh, and so even as I said in the last recording, he's Dante is very confused about where he is, what's up, what's down. Um, he still is able to describe these different um, malabolge. Now, the malabolge, of course, just simply means, not simply, there's nothing simple about it. I think it's a made-up word, evil pockets, or <clears throat> in Dante, evil ditches. I think it's a made-up word. I don't think it's a word that exists outside of Dante. Um, but mala, like evil, and then bolge is sort of like a ditch or a pocket. So uh, so these evil pockets, these evil ditches... Um, uh, that each uh, uh, has a kind of a bridge that connects to it, and um, and these uh, and 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 these uh, groups of of of, um, of fraudulent individuals are are held here in hell eternally. Um, so the this is sort of an aerial view, and as Dante descends here and is let let off, it's a transition between uh, the sins of violence from from the last canto and now these sins of, of, of fraud. My, my impression of this section as well is um, that uh, Dante's representation of these, these, devils, these devils, these horned devils who, with enormous whips who are torturing others is, is what we would say as the kind of stereotype of hell when we imagine uh, the medieval picture of hell. And Dante sort of participates in this as well, right? So 
um, and uh, this this kind of um, you know this kind of like broadly almost cartoonish um, uh, d- demons who are who are working uh, to to make life very hard uh, for those who are stuck here. Uh, Dante will increase this kind of humor, cartoonish humor. I tried to read a little bit of that cartoonish humor. It's almost like Dante is taking pleasure in uh, in seeing uh, these individuals tortured, but also this sort of like, you know, this, the demons sort of whipping them and they're horned and they have cruel delight in doing it and then they talk back to them and so this is this is um this is sort of a lower art of Dante's and and he's Dante has no um you know he he is he, he he's not allergic to to using anything at his disposal in, including comedy and we'll get more of that as we continue through the Malabolge and up into the um into the demons who we will actually have conversations with in a couple of cantos so he uses that kind of cartoonishness here and I'm uh, cartoonishness here and I'm always struck by almost a shift in tone between the Jerian uh, episode, which is highly dramatic and frightening and sublime in its own bizarre way, and, and here where we're just, okay, so we've got these, uh, these uh, hallmarky uh, cartoon Halloween-like uh, demons. I'm not sure why that would be hallmark, but, you know, something one would see in, in a, you know, the aisle at, at, a, at a supermarket, um, you know, that says, you know, eat our sinful cake or whatever. Um, so who are these characters that Dante comes across here? Um, the, 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 the one is very interesting. One is this uh, Venedico, and Venedico, uh, you know, um, is uh, one of those uh, flatterers, or rather one of those, those, those pimps, those panderers, who he says uh, serve the lusty wishes of the Marquis. And uh, he says no matter how the sordid tale is to- told, and that sordid tale... Um, is uh, you may look in your own editions uh, of Dante to talk about uh, these particular characters, but Venedico was uh, one of these ones who were punished here. He was a pimp in and uh, and uh, sort of the Savina and, and, and Reno areas of the of of Dante's uh, of Dante's um, of Florence near Florence, um, and so. Uh, Dante was familiar with this sort of this the, these these kind of uh, urban dwellers who were also pimps and who used you know the lies of the flesh in order to deceive people and um, and to and to keep things moving and keep things moving uh, as a business through his own deception and lies. And so this uh, Venedico was accused of uh, apparently of uh, uh, I'm reading from Muse's notes here. He's accused of murdering his cousin. Um, <laughs> so why isn't he with the murderers? Well, Dante puts him here because he's better off as a pimp. Um, and then Dante's punning, there's a word that Musa mentions this as well, is that uh, the word uh, salsa is pickle, yeah? So he says, how did you get yourself in such a pickle? Um, yeah, Dante's not very sympathetic or empathetic towards uh, Venedico and sort of making fun of him here, maybe sort of making a joke at his own expense. And you can see that um, in the in the word uh, salsa. Uh, pickle, uh, which characterizes the torments suffered here. Now, in this discussion that Dante makes of these two groups, right, the panders and the seducers on the one hand and the flatters on the other, um, in Hollander's translation, in his notes, he makes a point to say uh, how amazing uh, he believes that Dante's uh, sort of 
artistry is and and how his um structuring dante's structuring is on verbal is, is on display here in terms of its um sophistication and um and i've been reading through this and, and i see um i see uh, how how brilliant it is um in other words uh um these two groups so we saw one other time in canto seven where two groups of sinners the, the avarice and the and the prodigal were put together here dante puts in another group but if you look at the structure of the entire canto, you see how Dante structures both the first section and the second section in the following ways. I mean, he gives the disposition of both. Um, and we can find this in, for the panderers, we can find this in line 22 through 39. And then Dante goes on to give uh, exemplars, both first modern and then secondly classical. And he does this with the flatters as well. He gives the disposition of them in 100... Uh, at line 100 through 114, and then he offers um, a modern and classical exemplar for each. It's reminding me a lot of Purgatory uh, in, in that it's um, Dante's highly structured there in, uh, in, in the way in which he works through the passage and describes to us what hell or there, what Purgatory looks like and how each of the sinners, what their dispositions are and then exemplars. And... Um, so Dante is getting highly, uh, getting much more highly technical in terms of his structuring of things, and he's joining together uh, two, uh, two in one. So notice, um, notice that structure, um, and uh, you know if we assume, uh, which I think it's a good bet to assume that Dante wrote this um, in order in real time, uh, we see that Dante may actually be becoming more and more confident with the way in which he's structuring things. Uh, Jason of the Argonauts is presented uh, as a classical exemplar of a seducer, of, 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 a, of a kind of person who seduced uh, two women, and um, the daughter of the king of Lemnos and Medea. And in both those cases, he's being condemned for his, um, his work of seduction. Um, and then the second ditch that we see here in the conclusion of uh, Alessio um, uh, is... Uh, a representation of Dante's own historical contemporary uh, moment. She's a representative of his, uh, some of the Tuscan cities that, that Dante would have been familiar with and would have gone through. And then, uh, and then Tace here at the ending, um, which is a mythological figure that Dante takes from, uh, according to Hollander, takes from uh, either Terence uh, or Cicero. Um, and she uh, has a uh, reputation uh, this courtesan has a reputation as a as a kind of flatterer. Uh, this is a it's a really disturbing <laughs> conclusion to this canto, this description, um, and the description of this uh, of this of this of this of, of taste the whore who lies to her lover, who flatters uh, her lover uh, when when asked uh, uh, to, to judge whether or not uh, she has found favor in it with him. Oh, yes, exceedingly so. Well, beyond all measure, Hollander translates. It's a different translation as, as, uh, as Muses. Um, is Again, ties together both the, the kind of the, the, the sort of sexual, um, the, the sexual uh, imagery of, of, of the passage with the, uh, with, with the lying and um, with, with lying and, and, and false counsel uh, and, and being false counselors, which we'll see later. So it just sort of ties together all these different components. Um, and we get this, we get this very um, earthy 
um, you know, language with all the, the, the excrement and the filth and the, the squatting and the filthy nails and scratching herself with filthy nails at line 131. So it's a, so it's a quite a shocking uh, picture here of taste, uh, the whore. Um, and the and the and and really Dante's attitude about flattery, about deception, about lying comes out here in the end, and it comes out in a in a very earthy, almost sexualized way. So that's that. Those are my comments about uh, Canto uh, eighteen, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's a minor Canto. I said it was a great Canto because it is great because aesthetically. Uh, it it has this structure and incredible imagery in it, um, but it's um, but in another way it's also kind of kind of slight and kind of minor, in that it links uh, together uh, different cantos. So, you know, um, sometimes uh, I'm overwhelmed with cantos and see all kinds of things I haven't seen before. Um, this time around, preparing for the recording, uh, I didn't really see much that I hadn't seen before. But I'm still, uh, still pretty amazed at, um, it, at how uh, artful Dante is with all of this, and not just artful, but just with these, uh, with the way in which Dante combines modern uh, slash contemporary figures with with mythology, um, is is is, uh, is is really quite amazing. So I will, I will, um, uh, hopefully you will join me next time, and uh, we'll we'll tackle. Um, a canto, canto nineteen. That is uh, by no means slight at all. It's it's pretty major, um, and um, involves um, Dante's condemnation of the church. So again, I hope you join me, and uh, I'll 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 see you then. <laughs>